Welcome to Study Isaiah, the podcast in which we examine the language, context, and meaning of the book of Isaiah with Dr. Paul Wagner. I'm Tyler Sanders, and across from me is Paul Wagner, who's going to tell us the Hebrew word of the day. Oh, yes, and I got a good one for you. Hit me. Yeah, <laughs> it's servant. And the reason is, is because there are, are things throughout the second part of the uh, part of Isaiah, the second part of the book, that every once in a while you see what's commonly called a servant song. Mm. And so, and it, it doesn't happen in the beginning of the book, you know, one through 39, it's not there, but it is in the second section. Yeah. And basically it's God's servant who he's going to use to deliver his people. Mm. And, and, but it's, he's, he's kind of like the climax of this, um, all the way through God keeps asking can, do you believe I can do this? You know, don't worry. I can, I can bring this person. And, and then at some point he, uh, he, he lets him know even who the servant is going to be. Mm. And in, in one of, at least in one of the servant songs, I think it's, uh, Cyrus yeah. that he's going to bring. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's but interesting in, though. That's yeah. A... And then late yet, I think the second servant song is the most interesting mm. because it looks like to me, it changes right in the middle of first it's referring to somebody and then it changes. Huh. But so we'll get to that. I'm yeah. not going to spoil that one yeah. for you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but a servant and, and, and it means the same thing like a servant or slave. Yeah. So it means the same thing as kind of what we think it's going to mean, except he's using it for a person that's going to deliver his people. Mm. Now, if, if the first one is Cyrus, here's a, a pagan king that's doing exactly what God wants him to do. And, mm. and even if he's not the servant in the first servant song, which I think he is, but even if it's not, he is the person that God's going to use to deliver the people. So he is his servant, even though he doesn't know it. And I think that's the kind of neat thing about it yeah. is his servant sometimes is doing stuff for God, even when he doesn't know he's doing stuff for God. Right. Yeah. So let me read the, the passage that yeah. actually has our word in it. Um, so Isaiah 42, one says, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So here's basically telling what the servant's gonna do. And I think it's kind of neat. Yeah. When we get into it, I'll, I'll give you the reasons why I think it's Cyrus. And kind of this whole, this whole first section of the second part of Isaiah from 40 to 48, it's basically highlighting that God's going to bring Cyrus to deliver his people. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so that's why I think it's real, makes a lot of sense that this could be him. So can you tell me how to pronounce the word? <clears throat> yeah. Ebed. Technically, Eved. It's, Eved. it's really a V. Yeah. Eved. Oh, really? Yeah. A B-H sound, a soft yeah. B, a Baith is a, a V. Oh, I see. Eved. Okay. Yeah. Eved. But you've probably heard uh, people's names, Eved. Sure. Yeah, uh, and and that's probably from oh, that. Really, from the Hebrew. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there it is. All right. So that's our <laughs> there's, special there's my word, word today. today. <laughs> yeah. Now, between chapter what we just did now, and I got to give some perspective. Yeah. What we did in chapter thirty nine, we were if you remember, we were talking about Hezekiah being sick, and then he gets well. That's right. And right. remember, so that's that's around seven o. Well, probably before seven o one. But then at the very end there, he there was a prophecy that said that one of these days, Babylon is going to take your people and bring them uh, to their land and, yep. and put them into captivity. What's interesting is nothing other than that verse talks about the Babylonian captivity. Hmm. The next thing you hear in chapter, in chapter 40 is they're coming back from it. 
Right. So that's been that dilemma. How many Isaiahs do we have? Yeah. Because in the middle of the book, you've got just a major division, jumps 150 years. And an important 150, like it, a really key yeah. set of events have happened in that time. Yeah. They're going to be taken off into captivity because uh, you know, Assyria, if you remember, took off the Northern Kingdom. Yeah. And, and that was pretty much during Isaiah's time. But now, about 100 years after Isaiah, that they're going to be taken off into the Babylonian captivity. Right. So, so it is, it's really interesting. Isaiah mentions nothing about it except that one verse that prophesies it. Mm-hmm. And then 40 talks about them coming back. So you can see why scholars look at that and say, well, that's really odd. Why, why would an author in the, in the 700s, let's say, talk about these events Something are going so to far out. Yeah, going to be. And I think there's a really good reason for it. Because if, if, if I know that my God is going to bring me back out of captivity, because you know, if, if you think about it, you get sent into captivity, you're thinking, oh, either, either my God is really weak mm-hmm. and, and can't control this situation, or he sent me there. He, he mm-hmm. no longer cares for me and he sent me off into captivity. And either one of those would have made these Israelites really discouraged. I mean, if, to hear their God is capable of, of keeping them safe, that, that's pretty bad. Or the other one, he he doesn't even care for us anymore, so he's gotten rid of us. And, and I understand we've sinned, but man, is he going to totally let us go? Yeah. And so I can see why they're pretty discouraged in exile. So would you say that's part of the point of the second half of Isaiah? Is I an think, encouraging kind oh, of I, I think that's prophetic. the crucial part. Yeah. yeah. So if you hear that this God, and, and you're going to be told right in these first couple of chapters, not only does God love you, it wasn't it wasn't his fault you got sent into captivity. You did it yourself. You mm. you you wander into sin, you pay the consequences. That wasn't my fault. So God is letting him clearly know he's capable of bringing them out. He's capable of keeping them safe. They just fell into sin so bad that he had to punish them. Yeah. And this was a good way to do it. Yeah. And, and remember, he's punished them along the way. Do you remember yeah. in chapter oh, yeah, yeah. one how it talks about him? Uh, there's, they're so beaten, they can't even find another yeah. way. So, so he, it's basically saying, this is what God had to do to get their attention. Yeah. You know, and it worked. I yeah. mean, at that point, they're pretty discouraged and, and they'll probably listen. You know, most people, when they get to the low point, they finally turn yeah, yeah. to God and, yeah, and yeah. listen. Well, that's what I think Israel That's doing. what this is kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, let's let's, uh, let's get into the text a little bit. Okay. Or actually, I think you have something else to tell us about. Oh, um, a palestrophe. Yeah, let's give you that structure again. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I think you're going to think I find these everywhere, <laughs> and, and I don't try to. So, just to let you know that. But one of the ways to find out what's going on is to kind of look and see what's in the middle of it. What's mm-hmm. the most important thing? And at this point, uh, the most important point is that God is going to bring Cyrus. He even tells him his name. Now, remember. Here's Isaiah in the 700s. He's telling a guy that's going to be king of Persia 150 years after him. Yeah. That's a, that is so specific that a lot of times the scum scholars will say, oh, see, there's never, there's no examples like this anywhere. And, and that's not quite true. I mean, if you think about it, he talks about Messiah coming 700 years or more in advance. So it's, yeah. so it's not like he can't do it. Now, yeah. And he, I'll give you, he didn't tell him his name. He didn't tell him his name was going to be Jesus. Mm, yeah. um, but he makes it, he explains everything about him so that you know yeah. what's going to happen and everything. Yeah. So I would say we do have other examples of this. It's just, it's real rare. And yeah. and I agree. But but it, just because it's rare doesn't mean God can't do it. Right. 
that used to be the argument. The argument used to be that th this God is telling the future. Usually they would argue that that's not what prophecy is. Usually prophecy is telling people in, in the current time, uh, you know, what God's going to do for them or, or how he's going to punish them if they, yeah. if they disobey. But I see no reason why God couldn't also give them the kind of information that here's what's going to happen to you if you, it, you know, you're going you're gonna to be punished, but don't worry. I'm still going to bring you out of this and I can protect you. So, so I think in my mind, you almost need to know that God knows this kind of future. Cause if he doesn't, how do you know he can take care of you? Right. Right. So I mean, if, if he can't tell me that he's going to be able to bring me out of captivity, then how would I know that he's a God that can, I can trust? And how would I know that I how can do you actually... know that that's a punishment and not just abandonment okay. yeah. or something? Yeah. Yeah, so th this part is going to make it real clear. But as you can see, I've got uh, God's uh, assurance of deliverance is balanced with his logic of deliverance at the end, mm -hmm. uh, the case for his deliverance in the second section there, and the case for God's punishment at the very end. So you've got parts that balance each other, I think. And I, I'm very convinced that the center part of it is him, him actually explaining who he's going to use to bring them out, and yeah. even by name. Yeah. Now, what other thing is interesting, 11 times it says that the idols aren't going to be able to do it. Mm. And the middle one is right in the in, the, in, in, in that the middle section. Oh, wow. Uh, and seven times it tells us that God's going to bring him, or going to use Cyrus to bring him out. And the middle one is right in the middle oh, again. that's fascinating. So it almost, that's crazy. Yeah. So it actually helps bridge that gap to say, oh, there's yeah. There's a balance kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I do think there's, there's some fairly good evidence to suggest that this is a palystrophe too. Yeah. So, all right. The best part is this section here. So we're going to look at that and see that's today's time. Yeah. First of all, notice how it starts. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity has been removed. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, first of all, you got to think about it. That doesn't sound just, does it? Right. Captivity, I can believe that's really bad punishment. But is it double for her sins? That doesn't sound like a fair God at all. So I don't actually think that's what it means at all. Hmm. I think the Hebrew, oh, do you see this picture of a scale? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think what it means, a double means that whatever's over here is going to balance over here. So he's actually not saying I've, you've paid double for your sins. He's actually saying you paid exactly what you deserved for your sins. And that's, so when it says a doublet, it means this it's is the balanced. same as over here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what that is. But, yeah. but that's actually helping us to know God didn't punish them more than they deserved. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a balance. It's, it's this over here weighs this over here. Yeah. So I, I always, once again, feel yeah. like I have to explain that because yeah, otherwise well, you, you would get hung that. up on that yeah. easily. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The next part says, oh, now this is kind of interesting. It never tells you who's calling. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the, in the wilderness, make smooth the desert of a, high, of a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and a rugged terrain, a broad valley. Now, I bet you've heard that and yeah. read that hundreds of times. Do you know what it means? What, what's it getting at? I mean, the imagery seems like make, make it easy to travel on okay like you're preparing a way so you're like getting rid of anything that's going to slow down exactly and it means that they're coming back from exile 
So mm. that's the context. It's talking about this comfort, comfort my people, because I'm going to make a way so that you can actually come back from the Babylonian exile. Mm. So I'm going to bring you, and in, we'll look at it in a minute, he's going to come bring him back like a shepherd carrying mm. uh, lambs in his arms. Mm. So that idea, I would think that would be extremely comforting to, to an exile sitting in Babylon that one of these days, and if they were reading Jeremiah, Remember, he's the one that told them the captivity was going to be 70 years. Mm. So that gives them some clue when it gets close to that time, when it's going to happen even. Yeah. So it give them some, some help. But what's interesting, you're never told who's calling out. I think in, in the book, it doesn't matter. It's a herald. He's announcing that God's bringing his people back. So it doesn't really matter who's doing the calling. Yeah, it's not a specific. Yeah, it's yeah. the idea of here's the announcement that God's bringing them back. Yeah. So, but it's always bothered me why it doesn't say who's calling. Yeah. You know? As a scholar, you need to know that. Right. You yeah. think you need to know that, I guess. Some voice is calling out. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when, when you see for the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that's, that's should be an encouragement that when God says something, it's going to be true. Mm -hmm. So that's why he keeps mentioning that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a voice says, once again, you don't know, yeah. call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all the loveliness of the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I'll bet that was a real famous verse that you know. Yeah. But you got most people have no idea what the context is. The context is them coming back from captivity. And when it talks about the grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's, that's if mankind were telling you that I'm going to bring you back out of captivity, it would wither and fade and probably never come to pass. Mm -hmm. But if God does it and he gives his word that it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, remember, it's been 70 years. Some of them have been born in captivity. Yeah. So, so when they're thinking the word of our God, uh, it'll last forever. Okay. But I'm pretty sure people died thinking it was never going to be fulfilled. Yeah. And, and here's new people being born that never, ever heard it. Okay. Yeah. So he's actually letting them know it doesn't matter how long it's going to be. I'm bringing you back yeah. and you can trust it because when I say something, it happens. Yeah. So that's the context of that verse. I know you, everybody's heard about it, but the context makes it even more come more alive. Yeah. Here's these people withering in captivity, but the actual truth is God's told them they're coming home. That's going to happen. Yeah. So I think that's really kind of neat. Well, and it, it seems like maybe it's a promise to the people. Yeah. But it's kind of not for every person. You know, some people are not gonna yeah. experience that. But in general, yeah, the people will return. Yeah. That's what the promise is for. Yeah. And and it's confirming that when God says something, yeah. it happens. Right. So even though some didn't make it. Yeah, you don't not every person sees it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really neat. If you know the context of that verse, I think it makes so much more sense. Yeah. And if you put that in context for ourselves now, let's do a little preaching thing here. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, that means that when God gives his word, he's going to fulfill it. So if God's given you that the Bible and it's told you that, that he loves us and stuff like that, mm. there's going to be days we don't feel that. Mm. But then you go back to that verse and say, man, if God says it, it's true. Yeah. And so I think that helps us. Yeah. Yeah. And to know that, even if it takes 70 years, 
it's yeah. gonna happen yeah so so i thought i think that's a neat kind of verse yeah you can take comfort in that yeah yeah okay so big picture he's been t- he's announcing that he's coming back and he's he's gonna bring his people okay so that's that's what this first part is all about yeah Okay, now, and here's the grass withers, the flower fades. So now you understand the context of that. Yeah. And it's in the him bringing them back. And I think it makes a lot of sense then. Now we've got two, well, let, before we read that, can we read verse 10? Yeah. Look, look what it says, behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock uh, in his arms, he will gather his lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing lambs. Mm. So that gives you some clue of the gentleness. Yeah. If they're wondering if this God's coming back, he's saying, oh, he, look at this picture of me coming back. I'm yeah. bringing them back, like carrying lambs in my arms. Yeah. These are my people that I will not let go. Yeah. So, so I think that image is really beautiful too. Yeah. So, so this first chapter has got quite a few things in it that now are so different than what you hear in the first part of the book. A lot of judgment, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Now is he's trying to comfort them and show how much he loves them. Yeah. That takes us now into the next two questions. Okay. If I was Israel sitting in Babylon, the two questions I have is, can God do it? So the first one is, is God able to deliver us? Mm-hmm. Second one is, is he willing? Because he might be able, oh. but not love us enough. Yeah. Or he could be willing, but just can't do it. Yeah. You know, so both those are going to be crucial questions. Yeah. So the first one is like 12 to 26, and it answers that one. And he answers it by saying, what is creation? I made it. I, I've weighed out the dust of the earth and put all the water in there, and I measured it with the with a hand's breadth. Do you know what a hand's breadth is? Uh-uh. Oh, it's from the end of your, your thumb to the end of your finger. Okay. Most it's like people, your pinky kind of. Yeah. So yeah. most of them, it's like about eight inches or something like yeah. that. So he's measuring them by hand's breadth, by his own yeah. hand, and, and and weighing them out like dust on a scale. Yeah. So here's here's the question. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked out the heavens by a span? There's that word span. Yeah. Okay. And calculated the dust of the earth of uh, on a measure and weighed out the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Now, let me just stop there. So it doesn't actually say... Is God able to do it? But what it does, it says. Yeah, the implication. I made the creation. Yeah. Can I bring you back? Yeah. So that's the the logic here. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as, uh, or as his counselor has informed him? Or who did uh, did he consult and gave him that gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor is beast enough to, for burnt offerings. All the nations are nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. So that's how it starts. So it didn't actually say that question, but you can certainly see that's got to be what he's getting at. Yeah. Okay. So, and then verse uh, 18, with whom uh, will you liken God and or what, what likeness will you compare him with? As for an idol, a craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith plates it with gold, and silversmith fashions chains of silver. He is too impoverished for each for such an offering, selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not tatter, totter. So basically what he's saying, idols can't do it. Look yeah. what they are. They're just made by man. Yeah. So, so and that, they're made out of stuff yeah, that yeah. I made. Yeah, yeah. That God made. You know? <laughs> so so now the logic is, oh. Here's a God 
that actually really did make this this creation yeah. versus a God who is made, who's crafted. Is, yeah, it's made out of stuff that yeah. he, he can't even do anything. Yeah. So what's kind of funny is that they all, most scholars, when they're trying to argue that this part was written late, the, big, the biggest question is, why is our idols talked about? And the in the answer to that, because when you when you look at later on, like after the exile, when they came back, idolatry does not seem to be one of the major sins. Hmm. And and you can look through Ezra and Nehemiah, and it talks about their yeah. sins, but yeah. it's more like usury stuff like that. You know, it's it's yeah. that you never hear idols are a problem. They were in Isaiah's time, so so they fit the context of Isaiah's time. They don't fit the the context of so-called second Isaiah when that was supposed to be written. Hmm. So that's one of the reasons that got me thinking, why would, why would the author even talk about idols? If that if wasn't not, a person. Yeah, if they're not even right. an issue. Right. So that's, I, so I think that's one thing. Now it's possible that, well, I still think it's gotta be Isaiah looking into the future and, hmm. and because they're a problem in his time, he's, he's arguing against that. Well, when they get to it, it's not even that, pro that's not even a major problem for them. Yeah. But the major problem is trusting in anything other than God. And, yeah. And they have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. Okay? Okay. So remember I told you like 11 times it talks about Yeah, this is the first one. Yeah. Mm. And, and it'll just keep doing that all the way through because it's, it's comparing God to these idols that are impotent and a God who yeah. makes creation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's that part. Um, and it goes all the way to 26. Let me just read 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars and the, and, and the one who leads forth their, forth their host by number. He calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. So that's like, so here's, here's the proof. This God can do it. He made creation. He's measured it out. He's, he made the heavens so that, that, even the stars are there and not one of them is missing. So he's mm -hmm. controlling all that. If he can do that, certainly he can bring you guys out. Yeah. So that's the logic that you get all the way through here. Yeah. And then uh, right in the middle, you've got this passage about those idols that can't do anything. Yeah. So, They're the opposite, basically. Yeah. So does that section make sense? Yeah. Of so course, that's yeah. answering that question is God able to do it? And he does it yeah. by showing what he's done through creation yeah now the second part is is god willing it's it's actually shorter just a couple verses but look what he says uh, I, i'm going to start at verse uh, 27 why do you say O jacob and assert O israel my way is hidden from the lord and the justice do me escapes the notice of my god so you see what he's saying god doesn't care about us yeah so it's so here's the second question is god willing to deliver me you know even if he's strong enough and he's made creation and all that if he doesn't care about me He's still not going to do it. Yeah. Okay. So now, so so he's starting to uh, to say, here's this. God doesn't even care. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired, and and His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, He increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with the wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Now, once again, I bet you've heard those yeah, verses. Yeah, that's one you hear all the time. Yeah, okay. So, so what does it mean? Well, in the context, it's talking about here's Israel languishing in the Babylonian captivity. And he's saying, those who are there that trust in me, 
they'll they'll be raised up with wings like eagles they'll be yeah. running and now so there's he's saying i'll bring them back and they'll be encouraged so much so they'll be be doing stuff they normally yeah. wouldn't do yeah and and it's because they've got a god that is willing to take care of them yeah. so it answers the willing part by yeah. saying if you've got faith and if yeah. you trust in that god he can do it it's somewhat conditional yeah 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 yeah. Well, how does that? Do you think that makes some sense? Yeah. We've got so in chapter 40 we've got these two questions that are answered even though they're they're not really stated, but it's very clear what they're trying to tell us. Yeah, and I think it makes sense for the context you kind of shared at the beginning, you yeah. know, people who are in captivity hearing this, yeah. you know, that this would be an encouragement to them while they're there. And does it make sense there's it's just totally different than what we had before. Yeah. All that judgment that we we had in the first part. It's interesting because <laughs> we probably hit three sections of scripture yeah. that we hear a lot in terms of like kind of like yeah maybe not always the most context <laughs> you know contextually delivered but encouraging kind of passages yeah. from scripture a little nugget yeah grandma gives you or something <laughs> like that but yeah they're they're well, coming from the second half of life, yeah so. yeah well I would actually argue when you know their context. They even make more sense. Yeah. So here's people languishing in in captivity, and he says, "Well, those who wait on the Lord, I'll renew their strength." So there's yeah. there's hope for them. So that I think I think if pastors would actually preach the context, it'd be even stronger. Yeah. <laughs> so we we'll have to tell Grandma what That's that actually right. really yeah. means. Yeah. <laughs> It's even better than you thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's chapter forty. Um, here's here's that passage. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Yeah. So it's actually explaining, if you thought that I couldn't do it, this is telling you I can. Yeah. If you thought that I don't care, look at, uh, he gives yeah. strength to the weary and those who lack might, he increases power. So he's saying to the very people that are sitting in Babylon, yeah. I'm going to do this for you. Yeah. And if you trust me, Look what you got to wait for. Yeah. Or look forward to. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's so, really good. So I think that context is neat. Yeah. All right. Now we're into the second section. So that one is the assurance of God's deliverance. So that makes a lot of sense. It's answering those two questions. Yeah. Now we've got the case for God's deliverance. And it kind of builds to that first servant song. Mm -hmm. So we've got, why is God going to do it? Or how is he going to do it? He's now building to that first servant song, in, which explains now how he's going to do it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So let's look at uh, chapter 41. 41. Yeah. Okay. In chapter 41, in verse two, you've got the first mention of Cyrus. Mm -hmm. So look what it says. Who has roused one from the east whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? Remember, from where they are, Cyrus would be east of them. Yeah. So if they're in the Babylonian captivity, he's, on, he's even further east than that. Yeah. Okay. And then he, he says, he calls in righteousness to his feet. Well, Cyrus wasn't righteous, but the God who calls him is righteous. Mm. So it, when it says uh, whom he calls in righteousness, it's God that's doing the righteous God calling. God calls in righteousness. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's yeah. not like he's calling a righteous person. Yeah. He's, it's the call. And, God's action is righteous in yeah. doing this. And remember yeah, okay. why he's doing it is, uh, well, first of all, remember the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they deport people yeah. to their country. Cyrus is just opposite that. He figures that if these guys really have a God that they serve, and if if he, he's good to the God that they serve and send them back, 
then this God that they serve is going to like him too. Mm. So he, he's a really good pagan. He, he wants as many <laughs> gods on his side as possible. <laughs> so he's saying actually here, you know, he's calling this guy unrighteous. And what's going to happen is Cyrus doesn't even know he's doing it for God. Right. So, but he makes it real clear who he is. So he, he delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but, but when Cyrus comes across, he just, he just conquered everything. He, right. It was amazing. Actually, he was a brilliant general too. Hmm. I don't know if I, I think we talked about this, but one time he, he used a fire to like, there was a, there was a, a city on a hill and he started the fire cause he knew wind right. was blowing. So he started hmm. here and the fire went towards a city and smoked them out. Yeah. I mean, if think about it, so he lost almost no men yeah. and he got the people to, to come out. So he was, he was a brilliant general. Yeah. And so it did, a, he, he could do things just by, by thinking through how's the best way yeah. to do this. And, and so he's the one that God's bringing to deliver his people. He's a yeah. brilliant general, knows what he's doing and he's efficient and strong. Yeah. So it is amazing. Okay, he makes them like dust with his sword as wind-driven chaff with his bow. Mm. He pursues them, passing on in safety by a way he has not traversed with his feet. That means he hadn't come this way before. It was a new territory oh, for yeah. him. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, am the first. I am with the last. I am he. Now, if, I, if you just read that verse, what do you think it's telling us? And especially after what we just said here. I don't know. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. He performed and accomplished it. I think he's is saying, he saying. Oh, go on. Was it? Is it? Is the question about like, is God accomplishing this or yeah. is Cyrus accomplishing? Is that kind of the question it's asking? Well, uh, I think when he says, "Who has performed and accomplished this?" meaning this bringing yeah. this deliver all of Cyrus's stuff. Yeah. yeah, is I the Lord? So he's I think been, he's saying yeah. that it's God that's doing this. Yeah. So do you see what he's saying? So all the way through these first two couple chapters, he's actually almost like, can God boast? But he's almost like boasting that he's the one that can do it. And it's amazing to, uh, victory. And no idol could do this. Yeah. So he, he's going through and just almost like boasting and saying, who could do this? Me. I, yeah. the Lord. <laughs> right. So it's really yeah. interesting. So he's, he's saying, and this is the first one. So I'm, I can bring Cyrus. And if you think about it, that's truly amazing. How many of us could bring a pagan king to do mm. what you want him to do and, and him not even know that it's God that's behind it. Yeah. And then later he's actually going to pay to have the temple rebuilt. Right. Because remember his mentality is the more gods I got on my side, the better. So if I build the Jerusalem temple, that God's going to like me. Yeah, and so it's it's all in his mind what he's doing, but God's God's doing this, and and later he's going to say, "I brought Cyrus. I didn't have to pay him." So it's like yeah. God bragging and saying, "You know, he did it for free. He's he's my servant." Well, and and <laughs> so far this seems very different than how God approached. Golly, the was king it, of Assyria, right? Oh, a, a uh, Sennacherib. Sennacherib, maybe? yeah, because that was more like he's a tool. Yes, you know. And I'm going to destroy the tool too because of how he is. This seems very different. Yeah, a kind of different relationship that, or maybe not relationship is quite the right word, but how God relates in some way to yeah. to Cyrus is very different. You know, part of it was because the Babylonians were boasting so much, you know, mm. and thinking they were so great. Cyrus, well, the Assyrians were boasting so. Much. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, but Cyrus doesn't seem to be quite that boastful. At least you don't have the quotes of him yeah. doing that, though. I'm sure in the in the records he is, you yeah. know. He, but it, 
remember in chapter two when he talks about the the high people he's going to bring low mm-hmm. and the t- t- high trees he's going to cut off. Well, I think the Babylonians were were getting it because they were these boast, you know, they were very boastful yeah. and thinking they could cut off God's people. Right. Cyrus doesn't do that. In fact, yeah, he yeah. wants to protect God's people. Huh. So I think that's also why you don't. Yeah. He's not as harsh to Cyrus because he's using him, and Cyrus is doing exactly what he wants him to do. Yeah. So that could be it. Interesting. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So it's. I just wanted to just see this passage to make sure you see how it almost sounds like God's boasting. Yeah. If anybody has a right to boast, it's him. That's him, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In chapter uh, 41, you've got verses five and second through seven. Here's the second time. Okay. The coastlands have been afraid, uh, have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and have come. Uh, each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. So the craftsman encourages a smelter who smooths the metal with the hammer and encourages him who beats the anvil, saying, of the soldering, it is good. And he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. It, that's the second time you've heard that totter. hammering it down so it yeah. will not totter. Because yeah. here's these idols, they're, they're, yeah, they don't have any strength so yeah. they can fall over really easy. <laughs> yeah. So they want to make sure that doesn't happen. It'd be pretty <laughs> embarrassing to have your God fall yeah, over. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it, so it's highlighting that. But then look at verse eight. We've already seen the first time Cyrus is mentioned. We've mm-hmm. already seen the second time now idols can't yeah. do it. Okay. Yeah. Now look at verse nine. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Remember I told you I thought that first servant song was Cyrus. Israel's going to be called God's servant several times throughout the, the second part. You are my servant. Well, hmm, yeah. And, and so it, there's no doubt. I, I'm not doubting that Israel was God's servant. We've seen that all the way through history, right? He yeah. was doing his job and he was supposed to be to be the light to the nations, that kind of stuff. They weren't a real good one, of course, but he, he is saying that Israel's my servant. But but this servant, Israel, can't do the job. Hmm. We're gonna find, in fact, I'm gonna show you a passage that actually says, I looked around, couldn't find anyone to do it. So the implication is he brought his own. So, right. so Israel, his servant is sitting in Babylon. They're, they're in exile. His servant is pretty poor. Yeah person to be be delivering them and and there's no way anybody even in israel could deliver them yeah they're all in captivity yeah so even though israel is called god's servant several times i don't think it's the one that's going to deliver them right okay right all right it's probably part of an encouragement too. you are israel my servant jacob whom i've uh, Mm. chosen descendant of abraham my friend uh, you whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from the remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. So he did it again. I have chosen you and not rejected you. When he says he brought him from the remotest parts, I assume that means from Egypt, mm-hmm. right? Because Egypt in mm-hmm. their mind would have been a yeah, far, far yeah. part of it. Yeah. But he brought them back. Okay. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about for I am your God. I will strengthen uh, you surely. I will help you. So basically he's, he's encouraging them that he's going to take care of them. Now, look at verse 13. For I am the Lord God, your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. Uh, for for I will help you, declares the Lord. You, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. You're wondering why he calls him a worm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew when that snicker came, that's what it was. I think it's letting Israel know exactly where they fit. Yeah. He's a, he's, he, they're his servant and they're 
they're like a worm. They're, yeah, yeah. The, they're their low. worm doesn't do hardly anything, yeah. right? So, so they're not going to be the one to deliver them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of that. Okay. Talks about more about him protecting them and all that. Look at look at verse 18, the second part. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the, as the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. So it's still more of that encouragement that I'm going to do it. And then later we're going to find out how. Now, yeah. remember I told you 11 times it talks about idols. We've got another one coming up. So look at 41.25. Let me show you this, this other one that talks about the idols first. Look at verse 21. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forth your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. Let them, and he's talking about the idols, let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. As for the former events, declare what they were. So, so he's challenging the gods, the false gods, that if they're the ones that can bring Cyrus to deliver his people, it, later on he's going to say, even I'll, I'll fear you. So it's like mocking yeah, yeah. them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but, but notice he says, so tell us the future. Okay, yeah. so tell us what's going to take place. Mm-hmm. Or even t- as for the former events, declare what they were. Now I can do that. I mean, I'm a hit enough of a historian. I can yeah, yeah. I can tell you what happened in the past, but I don't think he means that. I think what he means is tell me why those events happened. Yeah. So so like why did you bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Right. And why did you drown the Egyptians in the Red Sea? Yeah. Or um, you know, why did you take them through the wilderness wandering and then bring them to the promised land? He says, I'm the one that did that. I can tell you why I did that. I was taking them to my promised land to take care of them. Yeah. Why did you do it? You know, and, right. it, and so, so it's almost like mocking that these false gods, if these people believe that these false gods did it, tell, let them tell yeah. us why we, they did it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's what he means, that we may consider them and know their outcome or announce to us what is coming. Okay. There's back to the future. So uh, a lot of people, a lot of scholars argue that God can't tell the future. Mm-hmm. This is saying that if God can't tell the future, he's mocking gods that can't tell the future. Yeah. So if he can't tell the future, he's no different than the false yeah. gods he's mocking. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. in my mind, this is a really strong argument that if God can't tell the future, he's- yeah. By his own protect. words, yeah. he's saying- he's, he's condemning himself. Yeah. Okay. Declare to the things that are going to come afterwards that we may know that you are gods. See, that's where the challenge is. If they can't do it, they're not gods. You don't have to yeah. worry about them. Yeah. Okay. Indeed, do good or evil that we may anxiously look about and fear together. So here's God saying, even I'll, I'll fear <laughs> you guys if you can do anything. So it says, indeed, yeah. do good or evil. So he's saying, do anything. And yeah. I'll, and do I'll, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Behold, you are of no account and your work amounts to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. So there is that, that is like a condemnation that anyone who would choose an idol, shame on them. That yeah. abomination is only used like nine times in the Old Testament. And it, it means the worst thing that could, you yeah. could do is an abomination. But what's interesting is I think this is proving that if God can't do what he says, he's condemning himself. Mm-hmm. So that's why that that's I think one of the strongest arguments that God has to be able to tell the future. Yeah. And and it makes in my mind it makes sense. Now, I need to also tell you there's one of the one of the best scholars on Isaiah is Hugh Williamson hmm. at Oxford. And he doesn't he doesn't argue that God doesn't tell the future. In fact, he says mm-hmm. that God can. And these passages are confirming that. Yeah. But what he says, we're gonna get to it in a minute, but he says that Israel is said to be a witness for God. And they're a witness that God has done what he said he was going to do. 
bring him out of exile and stuff like that. Okay. The only way you could be a witness for God that he was going to do this is if you're after the fact, after you've seen it. Hmm. And, and that logic makes a lot of sense. Okay. So if he's, pro, if he's telling this to people and he's saying that you are my witnesses, you're going to see this happen and they don't see it happen. It, like if, if it's in Isaiah's time, they wouldn't see it happen. It's going to be 150 years in the future. Yeah. So he's saying that's the argument that says this passage has got to be later because there's no way they could be witnesses for God if they hadn't seen it yet. Hmm. Okay, here's my argument. It took me a long time to figure it out because yeah. I thought that was a really, because yeah. it it's a good argument, yeah. I think. But if you think about it, Isaiah is not speaking to one person. Hmm. He's speaking to a nation. Yeah. There's going to be part of that nation alive during the early part that he hears Isaiah telling him the future things. Yeah. There's also going to be part of the nation alive when he brings them out of exile. Yeah. So they can actually see that and be his witnesses. So if that's true, then if he was talking to one person, Hugh Williamson would be right. Yeah. But if he's talking to a nation, there's going to be part that see both of it. I mean, maybe even if he's talking to a generation of yeah. people. I'll give you but that But it's too. past that, really. Yeah. It's yeah. the whole nation. So it's a much longer yeah. span of time. So that's why I think it makes sense that Isaiah yeah. could say, or that God through Isaiah could say, you're going to be my witnesses because these things, you're going to, you're going to have people actually there that see it. Yeah. So that's, in my mind, that was the best argument. And I think that's the answer to him. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got up here, God mocks those who trust in idols. And then we've got another mention of Cyrus. So look what it says. I have roused one from the north he, and he will come from the rising of the sun. He will call on my name. Well, that's interesting. First, he says he's coming from the north. Then he says he's coming from the east, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But that's actually the way they, they have to come. They come around the Euphrates oh, right. River yeah. and then come and down. Come down. Yeah. yeah. So it, it makes perfect sense for Cyrus because he's going to follow. No, no army in their right mind is going to come across the yeah, Arabian yeah. Desert, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're going to follow the water up and then come down. So yeah. it fits Cyrus perfect. He will come upon uh, rulers as mortar and as a, a potter treads clay. So he declares this from the beginning that we may know from the former times that we may say he is right. Surely there is no one who understands. Surely there is no one who proclaims. Surely there is no one who has heard your words. Formerly I said to Zion, behold, here they are. And to Jerusalem, I will give a messenger of good news. But when I looked, there was no one. There was no counselor among them who even if I asked could give an answer. Do you see what that's saying? I think he's saying, I looked among my servant, Israel, yeah. and there's no one who could actually deliver them. Yeah. So he's saying, I looked and there was no one. There's no one who could count, be a counselor among, among them. Even if I asked, they could give an answer. Yeah. So Israel, the servant, couldn't do it. Okay. Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. So he's saying, Israel's in a despicable spot. They're relying on idols and none of them could deliver my people. Yeah. So then he brings the first servant song. Yeah. So that's how it fits in, I think. Yeah. Does that make sense? So so even though Israel's called his servant, I think it makes it real clear Israel can't do it. Yeah. In this case for sure, it's like yeah. it's like he's bringing in a, an outside servant to do yeah. this. All right. So let me just summarize what we've talked about. Yeah. So the first two chapters are building I think to to 52 or I mean sorry 42 because 42. Yeah. 42 is is kind of like the first servant song who's going to explain in my mind why or how God's going to do it. Yeah. He's going to bring the servant to deliver them. Now, if you've seen all the way along, 
it's told us who that servant is. Yeah. It's not Israel, is it? Yeah. It's Cyrus. And he's and there's, you've already seen two times where he says he's going to do it. You're going to see more now too. Yeah. But then this one, that's why I think some, or Isaiah 42 is actually Cyrus. And I'll explain why. Yeah. But in my mind, even the structure seems to suggest that. Yeah. So yeah, there's at least in my mind, kind of an excitement there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So for next week then, or next episode, let's read 42, okay. 43, and 44. Okay. We'll get through those three. Yeah, we should be able to make that. Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank yeah. you, Dr. Brenner, for walking us through this. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back next time as we continue to study Isaiah. See you soon. Mm-hmm.